0: Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss rebalancing. The importance of rebalancing, how rebalancing can help add to your returns, ideas on how and when to rebalance and more. As Jack points out, rebalancing is one of those simple but highly important things in investing that we should be paying attention to over time. As always, thank you for listening. Please enjoy this quick discussion around rebalancing. All right, today we're going to talk about the concept of rebalancing one's portfolio and sort of what goes into that. And Jack, you wrote um an article this week on this idea and i think this you know a lot of times investors hear about rebalancing and they it it sort of gets glossed over but there's a lot of important things i think that should be thought about when rebalancing one's stock portfolio or even your overall let's say portfolio in terms of different asset classes but before we get into that, Jack, I thought you you did want to mention one thing um, we were talking before the podcast, so I'll let you start with that, and then we'll kind of get into the, the core topic here.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I just want to say congratulations on the 100th episode. Um, you know, we had, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing we've made it all the way to, to 100 episodes. I didn't think, you know, when we started this that we probably had any shot, so uh, it's, it's it's great that we were able to pull it off.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Congrats to you, too. Well, I think um, given the way the Arnot uh, interview is trending and, and how that's doing well, maybe, uh, Maybe you should be doing these on your own for Manana. Yeah, no, one. I mean, you, no, certain,
1: you certainly add a lot, but also that, that sort of goes to show the way this whole thing works. You know, it it never goes as smoothly as you thought. You know, we, we have this great idea, right? We're going to have our 100th episode. We've got a great guest in Rob Arnott. And then we, we try to log on and there's technical issues. And so, like, we couldn't, we obviously couldn't have our 100th episode be something that we both weren't on because we both have been on every episode, you know, that we've done. So it it would have been dumb to try to do an episode that I'm just doing an interview as our 100th episode. So it just goes to show, you know, I mean, we've had, we've had to pivot a lot and, you know, we made it work. So we did a compilation for our 100th episode of our favorite interviews instead of having Rob. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed interviewing Rob. I was obviously, uh, I was obviously quite nervous at the last
0: second you, you not being on and me having to figure it out. Yeah, you did You did great. I think and one of the things that we sort of focused on or highlighted in that hundredth episode is actually how much we've learned throughout this process. Um, you know, not only do these discussions that we have amongst ourselves sort of force us to, you know, talk through these investing concepts, but these guests that we've had on have been like really some of the knowledge, most knowledgeable, smartest people. And some of these guests, you know, ha- they're not necessarily the most popular or most followed people. Thinking of someone like Kai Wu, I think he maybe he we, he was on our podcast first before everyone else, but he's like brilliant when it comes to, you know, disruptive companies and machine learning and stuff like that. So anyways, it's just been really great to get, to learn about some of these people and their expertise. Yeah, and just before we get into rebalancing, the, the best part for me has
1: been, you know, we, the, the one thing I don't like doing in interviews is where we have to sort of ask questions where we already know the answers, and we've been able to not do that a lot. I mean, there's been a lot of times while we're, we're sitting here interviewing somebody, and I'm actually, like, learning something I didn't know. Um, and and that, that's that been really cool is the fact that we've learned a lot ourselves from, from the process.
0: Yeah, so uh, anyway, so to get into um, sort of this rebalancing premium is, I think, what you called it in the article. Maybe just to start, if you want to kind of intro this, and then we'll get into some of the, I guess, some of the more... Um, the other pieces of what we want to discuss. Yeah,
1: you know, all of us tend to do, you know, whatever it takes to try to generate excess returns over the market. You know, we'll do create these crazy, complicated strategies. We'll suffer, you know, years of pain and value stocks to try to do it. And sometimes we miss the most obvious, easy things that you can use to generate a premium. And, and rebalancing is one of those examples. You know, nobody's that excited to talk about rebalancing. You know, it's, it may not be the most interesting topic, but it makes a huge difference. Um, and so what I wanted to do is I wanted to just talk about rebalancing and talk about why it works and maybe some of the reasons people don't totally understand why it works. Um, and then I went through some examples in the article too to just to show how you can actually increase your returns by properly rebalancing your
0: portfolio. Yeah, so let's why don't you work through that tail risk example because I think that's a good one that you outlined in the article. Yeah, so I used, you know, most most investors obviously don't hold tail risk
1: funds. And, you know, most investors probably shouldn't hold tail risk funds. But it's a perfect example. The the reason I wanted to use it in the article is the perfect example of how rebalancing can help you. So what I did in the article is I said, let's say you have a portfolio, you have your stock and bond portfolio, and you add a very small position to a tail risk fund. Well, if you look at the long-term returns of those specific funds, you, know, you would say stocks, let's say, have a 10% long-term return. Bonds, whatever it is, you know, going forward, they're going to be lower. But whatever it is, you know, let's say you get your 4 or 5% from bonds. And the tail risk fund would actually have – typically, a tail risk fund is insurance. You know, you're, you're paying for insurance that if the market goes down a lot, I'm going to make a lot of money. So typically, insurance costs money, and the tail risk fund costs money. So typically, they have a negative return over time. But you can take that tail risk fund and you can add it to a stock and bond portfolio and you can increase your return over time even though it has a negative return. And the reason for that, we basically saw the reason for that in the coronavirus crisis. The reason is because that fund is paying out so it's very negatively correlated with stocks. And so when your stocks are doing the worst, that fund is doing the best. And so many of those tail risk funds were up, you know, four, five, six, seven times the, your money um, during the crisis. And so what happens is, This is where the benefits of rebalancing come in. Because if you have something like that that's going up when stocks are going down and you can continue to add money systematically to stocks at lows. So when everybody else doesn't have money because they're losing money in their stocks, you have something that's going up that allows you to continue to rebalance into stocks systematically. That can actually increase your return, even though over the long term, that fund has a negative return. And that, that's something I think people miss a lot is that if you, if you just, you know, if you have, if you take the weighted average return of everything in your portfolio, that's not necessarily your return. You can actually increase that by rebalancing. So you can return more
0: than the weighted average of the asset classes you hold by properly rebalancing your portfolio. Right. Another example you gave in the article is that research from Adam Butler uh, from Resolve Asset Management, who we've had on the podcast. And he had a paper titled The Rebalancing Premium in Risk Parity Portfolios. And basically what he showed is he used the permanent portfolio, which if people don't know what the permanent portfolio is, it basically holds... for different asset classes, stocks, gold, short-term bonds, and long-term bonds. And then what he showed in this paper is that by rebalancing among those asset classes over different time periods, you can actually get what he calls a rebalancing premium, um, which increases the overall return of the portfolio above and beyond, like you said, the, the weighted compound return of those asset classes. And in his paper, and in the article you pointed out, um, you know, it increases the return by about 1.2% per year in terms of this rebalancing premium that is harvested um, by rebalancing more often to take advantage of what you're sort of talking about here.
1: Yeah, and just to define rebalancing premium, that basically what I said before is what he's talking about. So if you take each asset you have and you multiply its weight in your portfolio by its return... That will give you the return, sort of an overall return for your portfolio. But you can exceed that return by rebalancing. And the amount you exceed it by is, is effectively what's called the rebalancing premium. And so he found that just holding the portfolio of bonds, stocks, and gold generated X return, but rebalancing that portfolio added another 1.2% a year, which is a lot. Um, you know, when, when those of us who are looking for factors, you know, that increase our returns, if you can increase your return by 1.2% a year, that's, that's really good. Um, so that's a lot, and he, and he found you can do that just by rebalancing. So that's more of a real-world example. You know, Most people aren't holding tail risk funds. I just use that extreme example to try to show the principle. But that, that's a real-world example of how, and it works with stocks and bonds too. It doesn't have to be gold in there You because know, most people aren't going to hold that much gold. It works in all cases. So just rebalancing your portfolio can, can
0: enhance your returns over time is, is the principle we're trying to talk about. Now, what i think a lot of investors do is they may use the start of the year to rebalance so it's like a calendar you know year thing so it's you know the new year comes um the first week of the the new year if somebody has a target allocation you know they may rebalance back to that um that's a good sort of behavior habit if you can remember to do it a lot of investors though to your point you know sort of miss that they just let these asset classes drift and you know, don't think about the importance of rebalancing. But we want to kind of talk about the different, I guess, triggers that may cause a rebalance or may prompt a rebalance, which one is obviously on a set schedule, like we're talking about. You, know, you could do it at the beginning of the year, once every six months or something like that. I mean, you have to be a little bit careful about tax implications if it's taxable money. Um, but, but then there's another way, which is maybe some type of band or threshold um, type of triggering event
1: yeah so what you talked about is, is probably not the right right way to do it, but it's better than the worst case. So the worst case is I have no system I'm just going to look at it myself and I'm going to decide, all right, you know today i'm going to rebalance. Um, you know that your emotions, your biases play too much of a role in that. so trying to do that is, is probably the worst case scenario and then doing it once a year, like you said, is probably not enough. but there's really two questions you have to answer here. one is how often am I going to do it um, if I'm going to do it systematically and the other is am I going to have some other system that if outside of my regularly scheduled rebalancing, something happens in the market that might dictate a rebalancing, am I gonna have some sort of bans? So for instance, if my target to an asset class is 20%, am I gonna say, if it gets below 15, or if it gets above 25, I'm gonna trigger an automatic rebalance. Um, And I think you know it it totally depends, the right answer to that totally depends on every person because some accounts are taxable, and obviously taxable accounts, you may wanna rebalance less. And and everyone, everyone has different asset classes that have different correlations with each other. There are a lot of factors that go into that. So there's no right Answer. I mean, I think the way we generally tend to do it is, is a little bit of a combination of both is have sort of a regularly scheduled, maybe like a quarterly type rebalancing, but also have something in there that allows for something like the coronavirus, because if, if you timed your rebalancing, you know, the coronavirus is a great example, because if you were rebalancing your portfolio once a year and you rebalanced it in January well, you missed all the benefit of the coronavirus situation because you took the entire decline and, and your stocks went back up, but you weren't buying. You, know, you weren't buying during the decline. You, you had already rebalanced for the year. And so that's the type of thing you want to avoid. Um, and, and that's also, we, we're gonna sort of talk about the when of rebalancing. And, and that's something that Corey Hofstein's done a lot of work around and, and is also important, which is if, if you are gonna have a set schedule to rebalance, like let's say you're gonna rebalance once a year, you're gonna rebalance your portfolio once a year. You don't have to necessarily do the whole portfolio at once. So you can treat your portfolio as 12 different portfolios. You could say, on one twelfth of my portfolio, I'm gonna rebalance every January. 1 I'm gonna rebalance every February. One I'm gonna rebalance every March. And that allows you to get around that problem I just talked about, which is that you just happen to have bad luck and you happen to rebalance right before you know, an event like that, and you don't get an opportunity to rebalance during it. So that's another thing you can do is you can sort of say, I'm only going to rebalance my portfolio once a year, but I'm going to treat it as 12 portfolios and rebalance each one of them once a month. I guess
0: it's not, I'm trying to differentiate or distinguish here between like rebalancing and factor timing. I think for me personally, I may have been a little bit more timing things during the coronavirus last year with rebalancing my own portfolio, getting exposure to certain, um, strategies that we ran that had different types of exposures because of like the valuation spread. I mean, I was rebalancing my portfolio, but I was effectively timing, I guess a little bit as well. Yeah, no, I mean, there, there's a timing element to this. I mean, you're, you're playing on, you're by
1: rebalancing, you're playing on mean reversion. Obviously, if you had, you know, three assets in your portfolio and one always, you know, went up um, more than the other ones, then there would be no reason to rebalance. But you're playing on the fact that eventually there'll be mean reversion. But like we were talking about before we started filming, the other thing here is momentum does work in asset classes, you know, so the asset classes that do well sort of over the intermediate term can tend to continue doing well. And so, Rebalancing too much can be a problem. It could be a problem for taxable accounts, but it can also be a problem. You know, you might be able to get some benefit from momentum. By not constantly bringing you know for instance if stocks are having a good run by not just constantly bringing them back to their target, you know you can let them run some, but you don't want to let them run you know forever because at a certain point that momentum signal's not there anymore um, and you want you want to sort of bet on mean reversion so it's a balance it's very hard to, to get it perfect, but you, know, you don't have to get it perfect and that, that's one of the things like a lot of the research on rebalancing has shown you know you're, you're, you don't have to time the bottoms in these, in these asset classes to get rebalancing right you just have to have a systematic process that's making the right decisions over time and, and over time that will add to your return. Although you certainly won't call the coronavirus bottom, you know,
0: because nobody can do that. One of the things, just going back to the permanent portfolio for a second, I know that we've, with, with the version that we run, um, you know, we allow it, we allow the asset classes to drift a certain percentage. And then after that, there's a rebalancing that takes place to try to bring them back to try to take advantage of this concept of, you know, mean reversion, basically among the asset classes.
1: That's right. You know, we, we tend to use a sort of a, a combination of a scheduled approach, but also that band approach, um, because especially as in, you know, there's been some research that the market's speeding up here. You know, I, I think there's definitely an argument to say, if we get one of these crazy one off events, you know, you want to be, you know, when you get a 35% decline in stocks over the period of whatever it was, six weeks or whatever it was, you know, you want to be rebalancing during that. So you want to have flexibility to do that, but you also don't want to be, you know, me and you having a conversation and saying, oh, should we rebalance, should we not rebalance? You want to have a systematic process that says, all right, you know, we've had this major event, my target weights have, have strayed enough rebalance back in. And so that's what we try to do. We try to use a combination of a scheduled approach, but also an approach that says, if if we do have one of these more extreme one-off events, we'll we'll rebalance back um,
0: during those. And two other real world sort of examples that I can think of is, you know, when working with investors that are at or nearing retirement, there's certainly an important discussion around risk and return and goals and sort of rebalancing the portfolio. I mean, we do that. Um, And then also another example is, with some strategies that have done extremely well you know investors may want to sort of allocate you know out of that and maybe into other strategies that haven't done as well or where there's more relative value those are like real world actual examples of working with investors that i can think of where we're kind of blending a little bit of rebalancing sort of happening you know in those in those actions and that's a your first one is a perfect example because it's it's
1: you know we don't exist in a vacuum so all of us have certain situations in our lives where things change and you know we all know that around around retirement you your level of risk you can tolerate is actually although some people think well I have a 30 year time frame I should have the most risk because of sequence of returns risk you probably should be lowering risk you know, around, around retirement. So that could be a situation where I might have a preset rebalancing schedule, but you know, I know I'm getting around retirement, so I'm going to do a one-off rebalancing here due to something in my own situation. So it's, it's not as if everybody can have the same system. You know, everybody's got to take into account their own situation, where they are in life, where they are relative to retirement, and make a decision you know,
0: that's right for them. Is that sequence risk also the same thing as timing lock? I mean, are those two things the same or are they different?
1: No, they're different. So okay. sequence of returns risk is the risk that you'll have a major loss you know, right at, around, at or around retirement. And that because you're withdrawing money, you won't be able to recover it. Right. Timing luck is just the risk. That, that's what Corey's talked about. That's just the risk that I'll rebalance my portfolio at the wrong time and I'll get unlucky. Okay. So an example is like that I'll, I'm rebalancing once a year and I rebalance in January before the coronavirus. And I don't get to rebalance in when stocks are down.
0: Um, that's basically timing luck is, is that I'm just by, by purpose of luck, I'll, I'll rebalance at the wrong time. So I think with rebalancing, it really comes down to, you know, understanding its importance, which hopefully we've been able to articulate today. And then, you know, trying to set up, you know, within reason, sort of these systems, these procedures, maybe some rules where you are rebalancing your portfolio. You're taking advantage of um, buying into things or shifting into things when maybe asset classes are down so you can get maybe a better return over time. But also understanding, like you, you know, your point, Jack, is that these things don't exist in a vacuum. And so everyone's different in how they might want to try and implement this. But I think hopefully these are some ideas and some thoughts that will help people understand and, you know, maybe better rebalance their portfolios over time.
1: Yeah. And just to close, I, th- I think the major point here is sometimes the simplest things in investing are the most important. And, you know, you can sit there and develop your 27 factor strategy to try to, you know, get a little bit more excess return over the market. But if you're going to do that, you know, make sure you're, you're doing the right, the simple things right first, make sure you're actually rebalancing your portfolio properly. You have a systematic system and it makes sense for you. So sometimes just these simple things are, are more important and, and we get trapped in these complicated things, you know, when we don't need to. All right. So
0: thank you guys for um, listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carbono. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.